Chapter Four of Gossip in the First Decade of Victoria's Reign by John Ashton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Four: Lords and Pugilists, Penny Gaffs, Steam Between England and America, A Man Woman, Designs for Nelson Monument, A Termagant, Scolds, Bridles, etc i must give another police case as showing the manners and customs of the jeunesse dorée of this period times nineteen february marlborough street on saturday samuel evans better known as young dutch sam a pugilist was brought before mr conant charged with having committed an unprovoked and violent assault on policeman mackenzie c one eighty two and lord waldegrave was also charged with attempting to rescue evans from the police the defendant evans when sober is civil and well conducted but when drunk is one of the most dangerous ruffians connected with the prize-fighting gang lord waldegrave is a very young nobleman with a fund of native simplicity in his countenance rendered the more conspicuous by the style of dress he had adopted namely a large coloured shawl round his neck and a rough pilot coat both parties exhibited unquestionable proofs of the effect of their previous night's potations policeman mackenzie who had his arm in a sling made the following statement about a quarter past six that morning after he had come off duty he went to the standard public-house in piccadilly for the purpose of getting some refreshment but on perceiving some of the saloon frequenters there to whom he was personally obnoxious in consequence of having taken disorderly persons of their acquaintance into custody he was about to go back when he found himself suddenly pushed into the house with sufficient violence to cause his cape to fall off while engaged in folding up his cape the defendant evans said will any gentleman like to see a policeman put on his back complainant had not exchanged a single word with anybody he however found himself suddenly and quite unexpectedly seized by the defendant who had come behind him and then thrown with violence upon the floor the defendant evans fell upon him at the same time and as complainant lay almost stunned and unable to rise some persons called out shame complainant was then helped up and assisted out of the house he went immediately to the station-house and mentioned what had occurred to inspector beersford who instantly sent a sufficient force to take the offenders into custody complainant went and pointed out dutch sam to his comrades and the defendant was taken into custody lord waldegrave who was in the pugilist's company declared the police should not take his friend and he attempted to prevent the police from doing their duty complainant feeling his shoulder pain him very much went to the surgeon and by that gentleman's advice proceeded to the charing cross hospital when he was examined it was ascertained that one of the bones of his shoulder was broken another policeman stated that lord waldegrave was very drunk and when his lordship attempted to resist the police he was accidentally thrown down on the pavement and witness picked him up lord waldegrave he picked me up did you oh he mr conant this is no laughing matter i can tell you and it is quite improper of you to make it a subject of merriment lord waldegrave he he i beg pardon but i can't help laughing mr conant asked evans what he had to say in his defence evans 
why you see lord waldegrave and me had been supping together hadn't we my lord lord waldegrave yes we had evans and when we went into the public-house there we saw the policeman who was drunk and who had been drinking pearl in the house the policeman asked me to wrestle with him and as i thought i could throw him i accepted the challenge the inspector proved that there was not one word of truth in evans's defence as far as regarded the sobriety of mackenzie the assault took place within a few minutes after mackenzie had come off duty and certainly before he could have had time to get refreshment the policeman declared what the defendant asserted was entirely false he had taken nothing to drink and as to challenging a man like the defendant to wrestle the assertion was improbable inspector beresford on being asked if he was certain evans was drunk answered that he was decidedly drunk evans silence sweep let a gentleman speak i can get a dozen oaths for half a crown mr conant said the assault on the policeman was wanton and unprovoked and the matter was further aggravated by the fact that a person of the defendant's well-known pugilistic powers had chosen to attack an unoffending party he should therefore call on the defendant evans to put in good bail evans serve his lordship the same for i like to have such a pal mr conant directed that lord waldegrave should be put back until a second magistrate arrived mr dyer having soon afterwards taken his seat on the bench lord waldegrave was placed at the bar policeman filmer c one thirty stated that he went with others to the standard public-house and took evans into custody lord waldegrave threw his arms round his friend and swore he should not be taken witness swung his lordship away and in doing so his lordship fell down witness picked him up and would have let him go had his lordship abstained from repeating his conduct as he would not allow the police to do their duty he took him into custody mr conant asked his lordship what he had to say lord waldegrave i have nothing to say perhaps i had taken too much that night policeman his lordship was very drunk lord waldegrave not very mr conant there has been no complaint of your conduct at the station-house and i dare say your lordship feels hurt at being in the company of a person of the other defendant's description taking into consideration the violence of the outrage committed by evans as a warning we must inflict a heavy fine you must therefore pay five pounds to the queen mr dyer and because in our summary jurisdiction we cannot go beyond that sum we inflict it as being the highest penalty in our power the sum was paid and the noble defendant discharged the whole social tone was low from the highest to the lowest and if the police court gives us occasional glimpses of aristocratic amusement so it affords us a view of the entertainments provided for the lower classes let us take one times ten march hatton garden for some time past numerous complaints have been made to the magistrates of this office of twopenny theatres one in mortimer market tottenham court road and the other in a field adjacent to bannigwell's road where gangs of young thieves nightly assembled 
on wednesday last several inhabitants of mortimer market attended at the office to complain of the former establishment when mr rogers granted a warrant to apprehend the whole of the parties concerned and on thursday night duke bailiffs and halls of this office in company with inspector jenkins and a body of constables proceeded to the theatre and captured the manager performers and musicians and the whole of them were yesterday brought to the office and placed at the bar when the office was excessively crowded there were twelve prisoners some of whom were attired in their theatrical habiliments with their countenance painted which made a very grotesque appearance duke being sworn stated that in consequence of a warrant on thursday night last about nine o'clock he proceeded with other officers to a penny theatre in mortimer market st pancras where he found the whole of the prisoners some of whom were engaged in performing their parts whilst ewan the manager was employed in taking money at the doors and the woman green was acting as check-taker campbell and lewis were enacting their parts upon the stage and joseph burroughs was in his theatrical dress between them with his face painted and wearing a huge pair of moustaches john pillar was in a temporary orchestra with a large violoncello scraping away most melodramatically whilst the players were endeavouring to humour the sounds and to suit their actions to the word and the word to the action and just at that part of the performance when burroughs had to exclaim the officers of justice are coming witness and his brother officers rushed upon the stage and apprehended the whole of them mr rogers what description of audience was there duke a dirty ragged set principally consisting of boys and girls two of them were barefooted and had scarce a rag to cover them and did not seem to have been washed for a month the theatre was of the most wretched description there was a temporary stage and bits of scenery the boys said they were errand boys and servants brierly and smith said they were country actors out of an engagement and had visited the place out of curiosity mr mallet had they an inscription that they were licensed pursuant to act of parliament duke they had not on the gates was written up for this evening's performance the spectre of the grave after which a comic song by mr ewan to conclude with the key of the little door they found various theatrical dresses and other properties with stars swords etc now produced bayliss proved having paid one penny for admission he paid the money to the woman green ewan was at the door and he confessed that he was the manager he took him into custody and subsequently he apprehended lewis and campbell at the back of the stage in their theatrical dresses mr rogers have you got the spectre of the grave here inspector jenkins no your worship he vanished the other male performers were dressed in sandals and armour with their helmets up hall and the other officers corroborated the above evidence several inhabitants of mortimer market proved that they were every night alarmed by firing off guns cries of fire clashing of swords the most boisterous ranting and shrieks from the voices of the ladies of the corps dramatique and the place was a perfect nuisance to the neighbourhood the owner of the place stated that on the twenty fourth of january he let the place to a person named summers for chair-making when it was turned into a theatre Ewan said that he had engaged with Summers to divide the profits of the theatrical speculation. 
Summers agreed to take the place and he, Ewan, to provide the scenery and wardrobe. And proud I am to say that I have conducted the concern respectively, which some of the neighbours can testify. This is the head in front of my offending, no more. Inspector Jenkins said that about a month ago he called on Ewan and cautioned him, but he said that the magistrates had nothing to do with the matter. Mr. Rogers, addressing the prisoners, said they had received a warning which they did not heed. He should not order them to find bail, but would discharge them, and if they dared to repeat their performances after this admonition, he would grant a warrant for their apprehension, and every one of them should find bail or be committed. They held out temptation to the children of poor persons, some of whom, it appears, were without shoes and nearly naked, who robbed their parents or others for the purpose of procuring the penny for admission. He would order their paraphernalia to be restored to them, but on condition that they would remove their fittings and desist from any further performances. Ewan, you must give me time to take down the seats and decorations. Mr. Rogers, you must take them down this day. Ewan, with a start, what? This day? Impossible. Mr. Rogers directed Inspector Jones to see the mandate obeyed. The month of April is famous for the inauguration of steam traffic between England and America. A vessel named the Savannah had in 1819 crossed from America to England, but her steam was only intended to be auxiliary to her sailing power, for her boilers had only a pressure of 20 pounds to the square inch. She sailed from New York on 28 March 1819, reached Savannah on 7 April, and anchored at Liverpool on 19 June on her return home her engines were taken out and she was finally lost off long island in eighteen thirty six the great western railway founded the great western steam company whose vessels were intended to run from bristol in cooperation with the railway and the first ship built was the great western the largest steamer then afloat she was two hundred and thirty six feet long and her engines showed seven hundred and fifty indicated horsepower her registered tonnage being thirteen hundred she was intended to be the pioneer ship and was ready for sea in april eighteen thirty eight but competition was as keen then as now and the st george's steam packet company started their s s sirius for the voyage to new york from london on the twenty ninth march she had a tonnage of seven hundred tons and her engines were of three hundred and twenty horsepower she was elegantly fitted up and started with twenty-two passengers whose number was increased at cork and being intended solely for a passenger boat carried no cargo on going down the thames she encountered her rival the great western which had a pleasure party on board and a trial of speed took place between the two resulting in favour of the sirius she sailed from cork on ninth april the great western sailed from bristol on the twelfth april and both reached new york on the same day the sirius being first the great western made in all sixty-four passages between the two countries her fastest passage occupying twelve days seven and a half hours at the present writing the record voyage for an english steamer the lucania is five days seven hours twenty-three minutes the manchester guardian of fourteenth april gives an account of a woman living in that city who for many years passed as a man 
which has occurred before but the extraordinary part of this story is that she married another woman subsequent inquiries confirmed the truth of the statements made in the guardian of wednesday last as to this singular case this woman-man who for probably more than twenty-five years has succeeded in concealing her sex and in pursuing a trade of more than ordinarily masculine and hazardous description with a degree of skill and ability which has led to her establishment in a good business in this town bound herself apprentice at the age of sixteen or seventeen years to a mr peacock a bricklayer and builder at bawtry a small market-town in the west riding of yorkshire she did not remain with mr peacock during the whole period of her apprenticeship but was turned over as it is called to another person in the same business it was during her apprenticeship that she met with her present wife and they were married at the old parish church at sheffield in the year eighteen sixteen when the wife was only seventeen years old since the investigation and disclosure of the circumstances on thursday week the wife and husband have separated she was for many years a special constable in the thirteenth division of that body acting for this town and we are assured that on all occasions when the services of the division were required as at elections orange processions and meetings of trade unions turnouts etc so far from absenting herself from what as in the case of well-founded apprehension of a riot must have been to a woman a post of some unpleasantness she is remembered to have been one of the most punctual in attendance and the most forward volunteer in actual duty in that division we understand that she is no longer a special constable because she did not on the last annual special session held for that purpose at the new bailey present herself to be re-sworn she was not discarded or discharged there was no complaint against her and probably the extension of her own business was her only motive for not resuming the duties of this office altogether this is the most singular case of the kind which has ever reached our knowledge the following is an advertisement which appeared in the times of twenty seventh april nelson monument the committee for erecting a monument to the memory of lord nelson hereby give notice that they are desirous of receiving from architects artists or other persons designs for such a monument to be erected in trafalgar square the committee cannot in the present state of the subscriptions fix definitely the sum to be expended but they recommend that the estimated cost of the several designs should be confined within the sums of twenty thousand and thirty thousand pounds this condition and that of the intended site are the only restrictions to which the artists are limited in the same newspaper of sixteen may we read of a punishment which might occasionally be revived with advantage as being less dangerous than the ducking-stool and probably quite as efficacious although we have the authority of st james for every kind of beasts and of birds and of serpents and of things of the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind but the tongue can no man tame it relates how at the mayor's court stafford last week mary wife of thomas careless of the broad eye a perfect termagant was ordered to pay one shilling penalty and seven and six costs for an unprovoked assault on mary the wife of lewis bromley 
during the investigation her garrulity was so incessant that the mayor was under the necessity of sending for the scold's bridle an iron instrument of very antique construction which in olden times was occasionally called into use it is formed of an elliptical bow of iron enclosing the head from the lower extremity of one ear to the other with a transverse piece of iron from the nape of the neck to the mouth and completely covers the tongue preventing its movement and the whole machinery when adjusted is locked at the back of the head the bridle is to be put in thorough repair and hung in terrarum in the mayor's office to be used as occasion may call it forth these scolds bridles or branks as they are sometimes called are not uncommon the earliest dated one is preserved at walton-on-thames and bears the date sixteen thirty three with the inscription chester presents walton with a bridle to curb women's tongues that talk to idle brayley in his history of surrey says that it was given by a gentleman named chester who lost a valuable estate through a gossiping lying woman but as there are several examples of branks in the palatinate one being kept in the jail at chester some people think it was a present from that city there is one at leicester and another at newcastle on tyne which used to hang in the mayor's parlour and tradition has it that many cases of disputes between women have been speedily and satisfactorily settled on his worship's pointing to these branks there is one in the ashmolean museum at oxford which is very tender as far as the gag is concerned but which has a leading chain fastened between the eyes hainstall ridware lichfield morpeth shrewsbury holme kendall altrincham macclesfield congleton where it was last used in eighteen twenty four all have examples whilst chester has four there are several in scotland and there are some in private hands notably one which used to be in the mayor museum liverpool which came from warrington where however the brank formerly used at carrington is preserved and there are several places newcastle under lyne now in the mayor collection manchester and others where they have existed there is a very grotesque one in doddington park which is a mask having eye-holes and a long funnel-shaped peak projecting from the mouth and there are some very terribly cruel ones with fearful gags but these can scarcely come under scolds or gossips bridles there was one aforefar with a spiked gag which pierced the tongue and an even more severe one is at stockport whilst those at ludlow and worcester are also instruments of torture End of chapter four